Chapter 18 of Sir Titus Salt, Baronet, His Life and Its Lessons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Sir Titus Salt, Baronet, His Life and Its Lessons by Robert Belgarni. Chapter 18. How wise a short retreat to steal, The vanity of life to feel, And from its cares to fly, To act one calm domestic scene, Earth's bustle and the grave between, Retire and learn to die. Hannah Moore In this chapter, three events in the life of Sir Titus Salt Will be noticed as perhaps the most important of his closing years. These were the celebration of his seventieth birthday, the erection of his statue, and the opening of the new Sunday schools at Saltaire. The birthday anniversary had often been celebrated in the bosom of his family, but on this occasion he had a desire once more to gather his workpeople around him that they might share his joy and partake of his hospitality. Such a desire seemed all the more natural, inasmuch as this period was also the twentieth anniversary of the opening of Salt Air. Festivities had frequently been held since the memorable banquet of 1853. Numerous gala days and excursions had been given to the workpeople, amongst which was one to the Manchester Art Treasure Exhibition. But the one that took place on the 20th of September, 1873, far exceeded in magnitude that of 1856, and was emphatically the climax of all. The number of guests on this occasion amounted to 4,200, three special trains being chartered to convey them from Saltaire to Cronest. It was in the higher part of the grounds that the fete was held. Three bands of music occupied the stands, around which crowds were gathered. But there were other attractions provided. A portion of the park was set apart for the well-known exhibition of Punch and Judy, which, though intended for children, drew around it others of a larger growth. Another enclosure was devoted to athletic sports, which consisted of high jump, hurdle, and sack races, etc., all kinds of gala games were indulged in, and now and then an extemporized dancing party was got up, so provokingly merry was the music. There were present managers, clerks, weavers, wool sorters, spinners, engine tenters, and messengers. But they all had such a respectable appearance, it was impossible to say to what particular occupation any one belonged. At two o'clock dinner took place in an immense tent formed in the shape of the letter T, like the works of Saltaire, and which covered 4,200 square yards. The tables were 1,188 yards in length, and the sitting accommodation double that length, or nearly a mile and a half. Joints of beef, weighing in all 2,600 pounds, were placed at equal distances, the intervening spaces being filled with cakes and fruit in rich profusion, while tea urns and crockery were there in sufficient quantities to stock a dozen ordinary shops. 
Sir Titus and his family took their seats at the central table, and the whole assembly rose at the preconcerted sound of a bugle and sang grace with a fervor which was thrilling. When the meal was concluded, one of the workmen stood up and said they were celebrating two most important events, one being the twentieth anniversary of the opening salt air. When it was commenced, it was thought that works of such magnitude went beyond all bounds of prudence and moderation. From the commencement to the present time, salt air had gradually increased, and now it was one of the most complete industrial establishments in the world. There was only one salt air. The other event was the seventieth anniversary of their worthy employer, Sir Titus Salt, Baronet. In the name of your employees, then, addressing Sir Titus, I wish you may be long spared to live among us, and that you may see the return of this day many and many times. On behalf of your workpeople, let me return you their most sincere thanks for the kind, hospitable, and courteous manner in which you have entertained us this day. An eyewitness thus describes the sequel. When royalty and loyalty occasionally meet together in the street of large cities, there may be something in the way of cheering that will correspond in loudness with the cheering of those workpeople. But for downright heartiness, commend us before all to such manifestations as those which startled the birds at Crow Nest on this occasion. Well might the united bands at this moment chime in with the feelings of the people and play the fine old English gentleman. Only instead of thinking of the founder of the feast of the olden time, as the song has it, they were enabled to claim him as essentially of the present time. Struggling to control the emotion so natural at such a moment, Sir Titus replied, I am exceedingly glad to see all my work people here today. I like to see you about me and to look upon your pleasant and cheerful faces. I hope you will all enjoy yourselves this day, and all get safely home again without accident after your day's pleasure. I hope to see you many times yet, if I am spared and I wish health, happiness, and prosperity to you all. If I am spared, the infirmities of age were then coming upon him, and though the warmth of his heart was as strong as ever, he knew that it did not become him to speak confidently of the coming years. My birthday! What a different sound that word had in my youthful ears! and now each time the day comes round, less and less white its mark appears. The second event of this period was the erection in Bradford of a public statue. It was the custom of the ancients not to sacrifice to the gods until after sunset, and it has not been the custom to erect statues to men until their sun has set. But to this there are, in our day, a few well-known exceptions, and chiefly of men renowned for their military achievements. It was as a great captain of industry, a leader in commercial enterprise, a distinguished citizen and a benefactor of his fellow men, that this honor was paid to Sir Titus Salt during his lifetime. 
The project was conceived two or three years before it was brought to consummation, and the shape it took from the first rendered perfect concealment from him who it was thus intended to honor almost impossible. A circular, headed The Salt Statue, had been sent to all his friends, which at last came under his own notice. He read it attentively, and then returning it, quietly added, so they wish to make me into a pillar of salt. But before the committee could proceed further, it was necessary to communicate their intention to Sir Titus himself, and a personal interview with him was solicited. That interview will never be forgotten by those who were present. Great as their admiration for him had hitherto been, they felt they had only begun to learn his true worth. His modesty and genuineness were so transparent that they felt constrained to exert themselves all the more to give effect to their wishes. But we prefer to give the words of the chairman, Mr. Vickerman, in reference to that interview. One of our number was deputed to introduce the subject, and was instructed to let it be clearly understood that our purpose was taken and that the intention would be proceeded with. Sir Titus, while displaying considerable emotion, resolutely refused to sanction the movement, and pleaded most earnestly that we would abandon our plan. We assured him that we had taken our resolution, and were well aware that to erect a statue during the lifetime of a man was somewhat unprecedented, but that we had the feeling that it was not without its disadvantages to the people generally when men of sterling worth and principle were first allowed to pass away without any recognition by those whose interest and welfare they had been associated. Our efforts to induce Sir Titus to sanction the movement were, however, altogether useless. And when, at length, we said that our resolution was determinately fixed, he then implored us to permit him to die before our plans were made known. To this request we felt constrained to offer what resistance was possible, and ultimately Sir Titus, at our urgent request, engaged to remain quiet and not publicly announce that the movement had not his sympathy. The sculptor selected for the work was Mr. John Adams Acton, who, on receiving the commission, proceeded to Carrera, in order to obtain a piece of marble, similar in quality to that out of which he had previously carved the statue of Mr. Gladstone, in his robes as Chancellor of the Exchequer. The block secured weighed fourteen tons, and required sixteen horses to convey it from the wharf to the studio. After many sittings given by Sir Titus to the artist, there came forth from his hand the colossal statue now standing in front of the town hall. It represents him in a characteristic attitude, the right arm resting on the chair in which he is sitting, and holding in his left a scroll, on which some lines are drawn representing the plans of salt air. The features of Sir Titus were well brought out, the largeness of his forehead and amplitude of beard giving force and dignity to the countenance. The canopy was designed by Messrs. Lockwood and Mawson, 
and is not only in harmony with the character of the statue but with the architecture of the town hall in which it appears a suitable adjunct the base of the canopy is seventeen feet square and upon it rests the base of the statue five feet high from the four corners of the base rise grouped shafts of granite supporting the arches over each of the shafts is a crocketed pinnacle with angular shafts the canopy itself is composed of four large stones which form a groined roof with moulded ribs and a large pendant cross in the centre the arches contain statuettes each with its symbol representing justice prudence temperance and charity the whole is surmounted by a spire forty feet high the canopy is enclosed behind the tracery work the other three sides being open the cost of the statue canopy etc was about three thousand pounds which was raised by subscriptions varying from the child's penny to the maximum five pounds the unveiling of the statue took place on the third of august eighteen seventy four which was a red-letter day in bradford being kept as a general holiday throughout the borough in the procession from the railway station to the statue were his grace the duke of devonshire attended on one side by the mayor of bradford and the other by the lord mayor of york preceded by the saltair band then followed members of parliament mayors of neighboring towns ex-mayors of bradford the town council private friends etc those parts of the speeches delivered on the occasion and bearing on the subject before us we briefly present to the reader the chairman of the committee said they were met to do honor to one of bradford's worthiest citizens and to proclaim that in the midst of their intensely busy life which was apt to generate selfishness they could admire those in their midst whose career had been a long one of unsullied honor whose wealth had been spent in high and worthy objects whose modesty of disposition and strength of character are worthy of imitation by the rising businessmen of the town and whose faithfulness to the principles which have guided them have been most unswerving it was to witness the unveiling of the statue of a man preeminently distinguished in these respects that they were now assembled after giving an account of the rise and progress of the movement the duke of devonshire was requested to unveil the statue his grace having withdrawn the covering said he had gladly undertaken to unveil the statue of their distinguished fellow townsman distinguished by his enterprise as a manufacturer and more distinguished by his enlightened regard and solicitude for the welfare of those employed by him but he could not now consider that the noble example of sir titus salt was a matter that concerned bradford only or even yorkshire only it was a matter of national and general interest englishmen were sometimes spoken of as if they were so immersed in matters of business or so engrossed in the pursuit of wealth as to be insensible in a great degree to claims of a higher and nobler kind but such an assertion was a great calumny against the national character very much had been done both by public and private enterprise to elevate the moral and physical conditions of the entire community but it would be impossible to name any more remarkable instance of plans wisely and systematically devised 
and successfully and energetically carried into execution for the well-being the happiness and the moral advancement of the population than was to be found in what may be truly called the model town of salt air they would not find there any darker noisome alleys or any of those abominations that disgrace the civilization of the present century as for the factory its construction was very different from other buildings of that description it afforded a most favorable example of which could be done in the way of combining architectural grace with purposes of utility beauty is in itself and in its indirect consequences to be preferred to ugliness and a debt of gratitude was due to those who gave an example of the former rather than of the latter the people of saltaire have had ample provision made for their comfort and well-being in their dwellings gardens baths and wash-houses park almshouses infirmary schools and institute he would congratulate the people of bradford on having shewn in so marked a way their appreciation for the great services of sir titus salt they had taken the best means in their power to guard against the possibility of those great services being hereafter forgotten by erecting a statue in his honour no doubt there were other forms of memorial which have their recommendation but after all it appeared to him that this which is the oldest is the most proper form in which distinguished and eminent men and the good they have done in their day and generation can be handed down to posterity mr morley m p said it might be asked why he connected all his life with london and having no direct communication with bradford should be present on this occasion but he represented this feeling that the honour they were doing that day to sir titus salt was shared by thousands of persons not connected with the town during the last forty years in all those great conflicts during which great principles had been established which had promoted liberty of person liberty of opinion greater domestic comfort in all these undertakings there was not a man in england who had taken a more earnest more conscientious or more liberal part than sir titus salt he was here to thank him for the stimulus of a noble example and to express his thankfulness for this that there is not a home in great britain that is not happier more pure with more comforts in it owing to the continuous and earnest efforts made by enlightened and earnest men among whom sir titus salt had always held a prominent position there had never been an object presented to him that could tell in any way upon the well-being either of his neighbors or fellow-countrymen which had not found in him a readiness to give either personal service or pecuniary help to the fullest extents required and therefore he was entitled to the fullest expression of public gratitude and their desire was even while he is living to show him that they were not unmindful of the services he had bestowed in this money-loving and wealth-acquiring age it was refreshing to find a man possessed of means and glad of opportunities almost thinking it a favor when opportunities were put before him for dispensing the wealth which in so large a measure god had given him as the result of his own intelligent efforts he might add that 
as by conviction and an obedience to conscience sir titus salt was a nonconformist he had never confined his princely liberality within the narrow limits of a mere sect but had been ready with a liberality of spirit which had always done him honour to promote the erection of churches and schools and the promotion of any organization whatever which by god's blessing might tell upon the material social and above all the religious well-being of a people among whom he has lived there were thousands now before him each one of whom might take a lesson from the life of this distinguished man they might depend upon it that when the history of england came to be written a very substantial chapter would be given to the class of men of whom sir titus salt was a distinguished ornament and who by personal sympathy and continuous earnest effort have contributed so largely to the good work that has been done during the last forty years there was need when such men were advancing in years or passing away for an accession of fresh men to come forward to carry on the work that had been so nobly begun he commended with all his heart the example of sir titus salt's life to the imitation of every inhabitant of the town lord f cavendish m p said if they looked around in that prosperous town and asked who were the men who had made it so prosperous the answer would be that to none was it more due than to sir titus salt who had first introduced the great trade of alpaca they honored the man who had founded a community which he ventured to say was unequaled not only in england but throughout the world and whose influence was felt wherever great industrial enterprises existed he believed that nothing had been more marked in recent history than the increased care and solicitude for the welfare of the employed which had been shown by the great employers and one potent cause of this had been the example of men like sir titus salt he could but hope that when that noble sight close to the exchange and town hall was thronged as it was every market day by busy merchants and manufacturers they as they passed by the statue would remember the example to be learnt from sir titus salt and would see that their own welfare and good name would be best obtained by following that example which he had so nobly set mr john crosley m p said it had been his privilege for many years to be intimately acquainted with sir titus salt and the more he had known him the more he had esteemed his high character mr ripley m p said he had watched the way in which sir titus salt had conducted first a small business and then a large one advancing from one thing to another until his name became almost of world-wide renown and all this had been done by straightforward honesty probity and perseverance these qualities had been an example to many a man standing before him to persevere in the midst of difficulties his wealth had been freely used and distributed to promote the comforts and relieve the wants of many thousands of homes a gala in peel park followed which was attended by several thousands of people the whole was concluded by a display of fireworks 
the finest that had ever been seen in Bradford, the finale consisting of a piece of illuminated workmanship showing the words, Bradford's gratitude to Sir Titus Salt. Such is an epitome of the events of that memorable day. And surely Bradford, in thus honoring her most distinguished townsman, did honor to herself. As for him to whom this high mark of respect was paid, and concerning whom these eulogisms were spoken, he was at the time quietly pursuing his wonted avocation at Crow Nest, undisturbed by the exciting scenes then transpiring in Bradford. To him the event could not be otherwise than gratifying. But we doubt not that a shadow sometimes crossed his mind when he remembered that his life-work was well-nigh ended, and the time drawing near, when he should return no more to his house, neither should his place know him any more. In commemoration of the event, a medal was struck, on which was represented the statue, thousands of which were bought by the general public, to be preserved as a memento of him whom the community delighted to honor. The erection of the Sunday schools at Salt Hare was the last great undertaking of Sir Titus Salt's life. As we have seen in a former chapter, he had been, in his younger days, a Sunday school teacher, and ever since his interest in this department of Christian effort was unabated. The Sunday school anniversary at Salt Hare usually brought him from Crow Nest, and in the afternoon service for the scholars he took special delight. On one of these occasions he came from Scarborough, and, though at the time suffering acutely from gout, he would not be persuaded to stay away. It had been represented to him that the premises occupied by the Sunday scholars were inconvenient. He therefore resolved to supply the deficiency. Well he knew from experience the great importance of commodious schoolrooms, and how much the voluntary service of teachers had a claim on the sympathy and cooperation of Christian men. It is possible also that, believing secular education was the more immediate duty of the state, and religious instruction that of the church, he was anxious that the church at Saltaire should have all needful appliances for the spiritual training of the young. In the erection of these schools, Mr. Titus Salt took a leading part, and it afforded the father no small joy to see not only his son, but his grandsons, associated in this good work. The cornerstones were laid on the 1st of May, 1875, by Gordon and Harold Salt, who were presented on the occasion with silver trowels and mallets. Sir Charles Reed, chairman of the London School Board, presided. The schools stand upon a portion of the allotment gardens near the works, having a frontage of 75 feet to Victoria Road and a considerable depth to Caroline Street. The principal front is of chaste character, and contains two entrances, for boys and girls respectively, with eight circular-headed windows, surmounted by a handsome cornice. On the ground floor there is an assembly hall, eighty-five feet by forty feet, from which open ten classrooms, five on each side, with a vestry and lecture-room in the rear. Running round the assembly hall is a large gallery, from which opened twelve other classrooms, five on each side, as on the ground floor, and two of larger size, above the lecture room. As the scholars assemble, 
they proceed to their places either on the ground floor or the gallery and in this collective position they join in the opening and closing services accommodation is made for eight hundred scholars it will thus be seen that the leading idea in the arrangement is that the teaching shall be carried on in separate rooms not in one large building as in most sunday schools the library is placed between the two front entrances and can thus be reached without disturbing the teachers in their duties each classroom is furnished with a small table and chair for the teacher and the entire suite is carpeted with brussels carpet which is provided by a special fund originated by the teachers in fact no expense has been spared to render these premises as complete as possible and they may be justly regarded the model sunday schools of the country suspended over the eastern gallery is a life-size portrait of sir titus salt which was publicly presented by the teachers at the opening ceremony a magnificent organ harmonium was also presented by mr george salt the entire cost of the structure exclusive of sight was about ten thousand pounds the opening ceremony took place on the thirtieth of may eighteen seventy six in the presence of sir titus lady salt and family mr and mrs wright mr john cosley m p mr e crosley mayor of halifax mr henry lee of manchester president of the sunday school union alderman law etc mr titus salt said it was exactly twelve months since the memorial stones of that building were laid he was almost tired of hearing about the completion of salt air six years ago that consummation was supposed to have been reached and still it was unfinished since that time however there had been an educational revolution school boards were extending and the general inclination of elementary education was towards what was the proper condition of things namely under the control of the ratepayers at saltaire they had handed over their day schools to the school board but while this was so it became all the more incumbent upon them to see to the religious instruction of the young and therefore his father had erected that building which he thought would be second to none in the kingdom for its own special purpose he hoped and believed that the intention of his father in the erection of that edifice would be fully realized sir titus salt was present and at his request his grandchild harold crosley salt declared the building open amid several rounds of cheering this was the last public ceremony at which sir titus was present indeed the enfeebled state of his health prevented him remaining until the close of the proceedings thus his work at saltaire was finished and as he retired from the scene in which his children and grandchildren had taken a prominent part it seemed almost the fulfilment of a scripture promise instead of thy fathers shall be thy children i will make thy name to be remembered in all generations end of chapter eighteen